0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: believe.
0: Can you believe this? Oh, out enough. Say it with your chest. Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. They'll get there. Bunny hops into a bucket. Hold that follow through. That's right. This is what takes you to another level.
1: What the Pell is up, everyone? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough. Of course, you can find me on Twitter. It's at E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And before we get started with today's episode, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you listen to this podcast. And before we start today's podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a rate interview. That really helps us out. And it only takes about 30 seconds of your life. And it's very, very much appreciated. So for today's episode, we were joined by Locked On Pelicans podcast host, Jake Madison. This man has been doing it for about four years now. Jake does some awesome work with the Locked On Podcast Network. And Today we talk about Zion's return to the bubble, the potential days for his return to the NBA bubble. We look towards that eight-game schedule that is up and coming for the Pelicans, and of course we talk about Brandon Ingram's campaign for most improved player of the year. So awesome, awesome stuff today with Jake Madison, and we got some more stuff as well, so this is not an episode that you want to miss. So here it is, my conversation with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans. All right, and we're joined by Jake Madison of Locked On Pels and the Locked On Sport. Uh, is, it, is it Sports Network or just Locked On Network? Yeah, Locked On Podcast Network. Podcast Network.
0: All right, close enough.
1: Probably should have asked that before we started. That's okay. How are you <laughs> doing today, good. Jake? <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, we definitely appreciate you stopping by, doing some great work over there at Locked on Pels. You're back to recording five days a week, right?
0: Yeah, Monday through Friday. So during this whole kind of hiatus when things were, were slowing down, it was a little bit tougher. There's a lot to talk about. So we were Monday, Wednesday, Friday, now back to five days a week with scrimmage games starting this week and the actual seating game starting next week. So I'm very excited that we are this close to being back to having real basketball in front of us. For sure. Yeah, I've
1: been waiting for this for a long time, just like everybody else. But uh, big concern for Pelicans fans as we're going forward is Zion's timetable for a return. I saw you were on uh, the radio affiliate in in Baton Rouge. It It was the ESPN affiliate this morning.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, it's 100.3 FM in New Orleans, 104.5 in Baton Rouge. They simulcast it here. T-Bob, their host, is a very, very close friend of mine, so I'm always happy to be on with him talking some basketball. So, yeah, he wanted to, uh, to get me on to kind of gear us up for the NBA's restart.
1: Sure. So if you want to check that out, Jake did retweet it this morning. But I believe I saw – I didn't get the, the chance to listen to it, but I believe I saw in, in the headline that you haven't heard much about Zion's timetable for a turn either. Do you, do you have any expectations –
0: Yeah, you know, a little bit. Like, I don't think he's going to miss all eight seeding games. I think as we look at this, we're kind of getting down to uh, the decision deadline here of if he's going to be able to play in the opening game against the Utah Jazz and then potentially the game against the Los Angeles Clippers. But no one really has an update on this. It's been uh, oddly quiet for, you know, breaking news or a big time player leaving the NBA bubble. But I think this is one of those things, whenever you read like urgent family medical emergency, everyone kind of backs off a little bit. So you're not seeing people dig as much as they'd like to, to kind of find what's going on to kind of respect privacy, especially, you know, in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, Alvin Gentry, when he spoke to the media the other day, said he hadn't even talked to Zion since Zion left. So I don't know if the Pelicans even necessarily have a bit of a time from on this. I'm certain Zion would like to be back as soon as possible. You know, it, it'll be a good thing when he comes back because that means everything's okay. So um, we hope the best for his family, but no real updates. But I, I don't think anyone's anticipating him missing more than a game or two at the most when it comes to this sort of thing.
1: Okay, well, well, that's some good news and what's kind of a scary situation for him and his family. I know that I, Yeah, I haven't heard anything either. And uh I, some good stuff about the media right there is it, taking a little bit of a step back from from zion when he's constantly hounded by by everyone not just in new orleans but but in in the nation so as we move towards these eight games we're going to be playing these these scrimmages in is it three it's three scrimmages one against the nets
0: One against the Nets, you've got the, I forget the order of them, the Nets, the Nuggets, and then the Milwaukee Bucks is uh, the three that they're playing, which they just announced today are all going to be televised in some capacity. Right.
1: Yes. So Coach Gentry had mentioned that they were going to try out some different lineups, and it wasn't necessarily like they were going to be starting over because obviously they played the 45 games prior to Zion's return. Is there anything that we should, again, expect in these three scrimmages that might surprise some people?
0: Maybe. I think so. You know, they're gonna, it's going to be a little bit weird, especially that first one this Wednesday against the Nets where, you know, you won't have Zion in there, so that's going to predicate a kind of a change in lineups, change in rotation, things like that. But also Alvin Gentry said, you know, early on in one of his first media availabilities, he's not expecting guys to play over 30 minutes. You've got three players on the team that play over those 30 minutes in uh, Drew Holiday – Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Balls, Zion's basically a shade under 30, which means there's going to be more minutes to go around for other players, meaning different rotations, different lineups. Certain guys are going to have to kind of step up a little bit. And this goes doubly so because if Zion's out, you've got to fill another 30 minutes there. So I expect them to maybe trot out some smaller lineups, uh, some shooting lineups, things we really haven't seen a ton of. I wouldn't be shocked. If you see a, a weird court spacing lineup that's got maybe Niccolo Melli at center or something like that, I think that'd be a little bit shocking to see. Uh, but if you're ever going to do it, do it in a scrimmage where things are, you know, quite not fully game speed, but pretty close and where the standings don't really matter and won't hurt you in the playoff race. So. I wouldn't be shocked if we kind of get an idea for different things they want to experiment with and use during this time and then see what works and then use that to kind of influence and determine how some of the rotations and lineups will go when the games start to matter again. For
1: sure. And I mentioned last week that I'd be honestly pretty surprised if they put Melly at the 5 at any point, at least in these eight games, not necessarily in, in the scrimmage games, because, like you said, they don't necessarily matter towards this playoff race. But it's
0: The time to do it and get weird and Melly at center in an NBA game doesn't seem like the best idea for things, <laughs> like at all. Uh, yeah. Defensively, he's going to struggle there. Uh, the rebounding from him has not been good this year. He's, he's a court spacer. That's essentially what he is that at least keeps the rock moving a little bit, but doesn't do a lot of those other like big man things. Uh, but I think they want to see how he does in that role at some point to see if you can make a front court with him and Zion just work a little bit better than it maybe has so far in the 19 games that Zion's played. So that's why I wouldn't be shocked if you see it. But no, you're right. I don't know if you're really going to see that a ton during these eight, eight seeding games where the Pelicans have to basically win as many as possible to get into the playoffs. Right.
1: Now, as we move forward, if assuming Zion doesn't play at least one or two games, maybe more in this eight game stretch, it's going to look like, well, obviously, obviously we'll see Zo, drew BI and Derek favors in the starting lineup. Do you think they'll go with Melly at the four? Do you think they'll put JJ Redick back into the starting lineup? Who's going to start in Zion's place?
0: Yeah, I'm almost certain it'll be uh, Brandon Ingram. That would be my guess. He's played the majority of his time this season for the Pelicans at the fourth spot. That has more to do with Zion being out than it really does with him being more natural there, though I think he's very good in kind of that point-forward role that they use him in. He's a good passer. He makes the right reads, keeps the ball moving, and is such a focal point of the offense that teams need to double-team him, uh, which is going to leave someone else open, so I would not be shocked if they end up putting him in that spot at the four. So I think you'll see him and Derek Favors in the front court. You'll see Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball in the back court. And then the biggest question is who starts at the three? Do you throw in a guy like JJ Redick, who's not going to give you a ton of defense in that position? Is a little bit undersized there, not a ton, but uh, and have the the three point shooting that he gives you and just some of that like veteran presence that he gives you out on the court. And with Lonzo Ball in the half court, having more shooters around him is only a good thing because he's kind of limited in that aspect of the offense. Or do you go with a guy like Josh Hart that can give you defense, can give you rebounding? Rebounding, particularly defensive rebounding, was a huge problem for New Orleans early on in the season when they were giving up significant amounts of second-chance points. And I would not be shocked to see the coaching staff go with Josh Hart there just to kind of eliminate that a little bit. Defense is kind of the key to this team. They struggled early on in the season. They were a bottom five defense. Then as everyone got healthy, they started to trust each other a little bit more. You get Derek Favors in the lineup consistently. They jumped into the top eight, top 10 during this stretch since Christmas Day. So I think they kind of want to keep that flow going. I I expect to see Josh Hart probably in that starting lineup with J.J. Redick off the bench. But if you're playing a team like the Wizards who aren't really going to be trying in the bubble that don't have Bradley Beal or the firepower to beat you, maybe you put in a guy like J.J. Redick, start him in that game, try and just bury that opponent early under a barrage of points and then cruise to a victory. So they have some options depending on which way they want to go. But I think it probably is going to be Josh Hart.
1: My my thinking is that they're going to put in or uh, they'll keep B.I. B- at the three, and then they'll start Melly at the four. I know Josh Hart is a, an energy guy off the bench, and J.J. Reddick's a veteran presence off the bench, and and that way you keep the spacing, and obviously you can keep spacing with B.I. at the four, but uh, Melly is, like you said, definitely not a, a defensive presence. He's gotten better, but he's not the defensive presence that you'd want necessarily, but I, I think that he provides that spacing at the four to where you can have Derek Favors is the only one on the block. Uh, and then, of course, Melly definitely provided a piece when he would come off the bench that made the offense flow a little bit more. Well, what are your thoughts there?
0: I mean, I can see it working. I wouldn't be shocked if they, they used that kind of lineup at some point. I don't know if I see it starting necessarily, but I think they want to have a lot of shooting out there on the court. It's just going to make things easier for Brandon Ingram, who, got, who, who teams are going to key in on at this point. You know, without Zion there to be a focal point and pull someone away, if you don't have shooting out there, it's kind of simple to game plan against the Pelicans a little bit. I'm just worried about the defense, the rebounding. Melly doesn't provide those, I think, and I think that's a big problem. I look at all those second-chance points that New Orleans gave up early on that kind of almost doomed them at one point, you know, for their season. This team had a 13-game losing streak, and they're here competing for a potential playoff spot and arguably favored to get in, which is wild to think about a little (laughs) bit. But I don't think they really have the luxury of messing around this time because if you get into a hole early on or you drop a game you shouldn't drop in these final eight, you're out, essentially. And that's not what they want here. So I think they're going to kind of go with what works. I'm intrigued, certainly, by seeing Derek Favors, Brandon Ingram, and Melly out there in front court. Um, I just don't know if that's what they're going to do to start because I think they're so worried about the defense and seeing what happened early on in the season.
1: Sure, fair enough. And obviously, with go in the defensive route, you're going to put Josh Hart out there. And like you said, Melly's not necessarily that much of a rebounder. And Zion definitely was. So if you're looking to replace rebounding, (laughs) you definitely want to get get Josh Hart out there.
0: Well, it it feeds into their offense, too. You know, that's one of the reasons why they struggled early on, too, when the defense was bad. It's tough to get out and run when you have to inbound the ball from under your own net. The defense – the opponent's defense can get back, get set – and that limits the usefulness of a guy like Lonzo Ball who struggles in the half court where the Pelicans just struggle in general. So they want to have that defense out there, get stops, get the board, and go. And you can't do that if opponents are making shots or if you're not able to secure that defensive rebound. Right.
1: Now looking not necessarily at the scrimmages but at the eight games as we move forward, do you expect I, – I know going into this playoffs we were thinking, obviously, that the Pels were going to go – you know, eight, nine, not necessarily go 10 deep into their bench. So probably wasn't going to see have Jackson Hayes see the floor a ton. Do you think he, do you think Melly, do you think Josh Hart see the floor at least in, in terms of more minutes in the absence of Zion? Not necessarily just yeah. starting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to, you've got to fill 30 minutes there. So it's going to have to fall on guys like Jalil Okafor, like Niccolo Melli to step up from what 17, 18 minutes he was playing. Josh Hart will get an increase there because you can play him if you, at the four, if you really, really needed to and go super small that way too. Um, And I think it just, it's going to depend on kind of the opponent. The other thing is, I don't think that in these final eight games, they would have gone with just an eight man rotation anyway, I think given that they don't want to play guys more than 30 minutes right now because they're, you know, these guys haven't played in three, four months, just throwing them into 36 minutes per game again is going to be a problem. It could potentially lead to injuries. And no one wants to kind of, sacrifice the long-term for short-term of just getting into the playoffs and losing to the Lakers in the first round. So I think you were going to see a deeper bench to begin with, even before the Zion news. Now the fact that he might not be there for part of it certainly is going to mean that you're going to need other guys to step up. Um, You're going to need some minutes from one of Etuan Moore. Frank Jackson or Nikhil Alexander Walker, I would expect that would go to each one more over the other two, given that they just trust him a little bit more. Um, and then what's it mean for a guy like Kenrich Williams, who may or may not be playing. He hadn't been playing in a uh, for a long time with a back injury. Seems healthy in a lot of the footage we've seen out of practice. Does he get an increase all of a sudden and kind of get thrown back into the fire? So this Pelicans team, while we kind of had them figured out when the NBA hit their suspended point, all of a sudden, a lot of things are up in question now, isn't it?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> way, way more things than I think we were all expecting. But uh, speaking of Kenny Hustle, we'll, we'll definitely, <laughs> if you're a fan of Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, you know we're going to be talking about Kenny Hustle in a little bit. But like like you said, there's really just, there's so many different things that could happen, and especially with how the scrimmages go. We, we don't know how those are going to go. We don't know what kind of fitness everybody's in. Obviously, the Pelicans are going full bore in terms of fitness going five on five, probably quite a bit more than a lot of other teams in Orlando. So a lot of different things can happen, especially factoring in what these scrimmages are going to look like. Now, now going forward to these eight games, the games that matter in, in Orlando, uh, but at least before the playoffs, so obviously the Pelicans are going to start off Jazz Clippers and then the Grizzlies. And then after that, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bunch of gimme games. They obviously have to play the Kings twice, but they've also got the Wizards, the Spurs, and I don't know how, about you, how you feel about the Magic, but I'm not too worried about them either. Do you think that the, the Pels can really make a splash in these eight games? I know this morning on your podcast, I, I took a listen before we started recording, that you said that the Pels really had to almost have to go 6-2 and two in, in order to get in the playoffs. Do you think that's realistic?
0: yeah i definitely think it is you know they're the only team that's got a schedule here that has combined opponents winning percentage under 500 which mimics to to a degree what their final 18 games were going to look like so i think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic looking at these 8 games look You get Utah and the Clippers in your first two games. That's a good thing, I think, here. Both those teams are in the playoffs. Both of those teams might just be kind of treating this like a preseason game, not really taking it as seriously as possible. Think in football, you know. In the first two games, you're kind of doing whatever. In the fourth game, you don't care. And in the third game is when you really play guys for a half and take it somewhat seriously. This is like the beginning of a preseason game for the Clippers and the Utah Jazz. They don't need to risk anything right off the bat, you know, so they might take it a little bit easier, I think, which means the Pelicans can potentially win both of those games. And in fact, they're favored over Utah in the opening game, partially because Bogdanovich isn't going to be there for the Jazz, and he's burned New Orleans a little bit so far this season. So I think you look at those as winnable games. Um, the, what could have been the toughest other game would have been the Washington Wizards on the second night of a back-to-back, but they don't have Bradley Beal. San Antonio with Popovich beat New Orleans in Zion's debut game but they're not going to have LaMarcus Aldrich, who is big in that, who's typically roasted New Orleans historically. So that game's not as worried. The two toughest ones, as you mentioned, might be Sacramento. But they've got some injury news kind of going on with them right now with Marvin Bagley. We don't quite know how good they are. Though They were playing some pretty good basketball going into the the break here. But you look at this, 6-2 and two is very, very realistic. And all they have to do is finish with the same record as Memphis and win one more game than the Portland Trailblazers. If they do that, it doesn't matter how many losses they have. As long as you win one more than Portland, who has a pretty tough schedule in all of this, they're in that 8th, ninth you know, uh, elimination spot to see who gets into the playoffs. So they have a pretty good chance to at least continue on playing past these first eight games.
1: Definitely. Absolutely. I was just on believe in the Cavaliers earlier today and was asked this question. I firmly believe that the Pels can go seven and one on this
0: stretch. Yeah. I think that's very realistic.
1: I, I think, I mean, looking at the jazz, like you said, Bogdanovich is out and he's had a hell of a season so far. We don't know what the relationship is like between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And then to the Clippers and previously the, the, the pels beat the jazz and then probably should have beat the jazz again later on in the season yeah
0: they should they should, <laughs> should yeah. have won the first game and then then but look at how they responded in that why well, I'm not as scared of that jazz team as I might be otherwise that's the game that Brandon Ingram had 49 hit the game tying shot over Rudy Gobert sent it to overtime where they then really pulled away they're they're right up there with that team i think the clippers one's the interesting one but I, I don't know what, what the hell to think about the Clippers going into this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. And, I mean, factor in the the Pels probably should have beat the Clippers earlier this season, too. They were yeah. up uh, a decent amount in that third quarter, then going into the fourth kind of flopped, which is kind of what the Pelicans have done uh, this year. Uh, not, not necessarily to uh, the degree where they lost a ton of games, but they lost more games than they should have. And, of course, you know, they have Kawhi Leonard, who's – one of the most clutch players in the league. So I I genuinely think that they can beat the Clippers too. I mean, yeah, you're you're right. Who the hell knows what's coming from the Clippers this this, uh, remainder of these eight games?
0: No, it's it's yeah. You just don't get a very good feeling for that team. Are they going to rest guys? Are they going to not rest guys? Like those are kind of the big questions about that. You know, in the Paul George return game, you saw Drew Holiday play great defense against him. So that limits them to a degree. And if they miss Kawhi Leonard for that game, because this is a thing they do with all the load management and all of that, um, it's it's an, it, you know it's a much more winnable game than it might be. Otherwise, And that's a good thing to kind of be in this situation. I, you know, if these were two, if this was the fifth and sixth game of these final eight, I'd be a little bit more nervous about those, but they're not. And so the Pelican schedule just kind of broke in a very positive way for him, I think.
1: Oh, 100%. This front-loaded schedule is incredibly, incredibly favorable. Now, that third game is with the Memphis Grizzlies, of whom the Pelicans have absolutely thrashed two times this year. Obviously, in that second matchup when they won, I believe it was 139-111, uh, the, the, the Grizzlies didn't have Jaron Jackson Jr., didn't have Brandon Clark. Do you think that the Pels are going to step out and just annihilate the Grizzlies again? Do you think it'll be a better game? Obviously, I mean, I think it's going to be intense. With the heat that's come back and forth between Pelicans and and Grizzlies fans, (laughs) just on Twitter, I think it adds an extra degree of uh, competitiveness and and energy to this one, especially if Zion plays, because, you know, you got the one, two, and, and John Zion as well.
0: Look, there, there's a lot of storylines to that game. There's going to be a lot of intensity on both sides of that because Memphis knows that if they win, that really dents the Pelicans' playoff chances of even getting into the night spot. And there's no way in Memphis wants to have a two game playoff against this Pelicans team. Whereas you've mentioned, they've beat the socks off of them two games now. It's, that's going to be interesting because if, if they take it to them again, I, if I were the Grizzlies, I wouldn't feel good about my chances in a, in a two-game playoff. It's tough to beat a team five games in a row in an entire season, which is what New Orleans would have to do here just to get in as the eighth spot if they finish in the ninth position after these eight seeding games. feel good against my chances, though, against this Grizzlies team, which has overachieved a little bit. They haven't played their uh, toughest part of the schedule. It's kind of the reverse of New Orleans here. So they, they get a little bit lucky, I think, if anything, Uh, about only having to play eight more games, not 18 or however many they had left against really tough opponents and really tough competition where they might have faded harder than what we might see from them in the NBA's restart right here. Game's going to be fun. You know, I think Zion, if he plays in that one, will definitely have a point to prove. They just announced that the... end of season awards are only going to be taken uh, into consideration from through March when the season stopped being played. So Zion has no chance of winning rookie of the year, but you can kind of win rookie of the year in people's minds. I think if you absolutely trash that team and he goes off and outplays Ja Morant, and I think that's something that he would very much like to do. So that's going to be a really intriguing game, particularly if Zion's there. And yeah, I think they're better than Memphis and are going to win.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah! yeah. I'm right there with you. And and (laughs) let's let's uh, work on giving uh, Zion the people's rookie of the year. I'm here for that. You know, Drew has been the Ja Morant stopper, too. I mean, Drew's obviously he should be first team all NBA defense this year. But I mean, Ja has been able to do almost nothing against the Pelicans when matched up with Drew.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's when, Drew, when you throw an elite you know, guard uh, against Drew, they, they probably are not thrilled about this. Look what he does to Damian Lillard regularly. They went 4-0 against that team and probably gave uh, Lillard more nightmares even after the playoff series. So he's done a good job. He knows what his role is here. And the fact that they have so much more offensive help, um, it lets him just kind of be that defensive monster and menace that he really wants to be. He doesn't like being the guy who's going to go out and score. He can do it. But he have to spend so much energy doing that that you can't give it on the defensive side of the ball all of the time. So when you have guys like Zion, Ingram, Lonzo Ball that ease that burden on him, particularly in a game like that where you know he doesn't, you have enough scoring threats and their defense isn't that good enough to kind of limit everybody. So he doesn't need to step up on the offensive end. And it just lets him do his thing defensively. And I think that's what's really great. They also play a similar-ish style, I think, a little bit to Portland, too. So you can use some of the same defensive schemes there. So they're well-versed in this. And it's just one of those things that's like a perfect, perfect matchup for New Orleans. John Morant's going to be a very, very good player in the NBA. I think we can all see that and agree on that. But he's going to struggle to kind of be that elite guy until he can kind of figure out defenders like Drew Holiday. And he's not there yet. And a rookie shouldn't be there yet. Um, and maybe it's just going to have to – he's going to have to wait till Drew Holiday is no longer in the division, whenever that's going to be, um, which is probably what, what, the more likely scenario than him getting good enough to kind of get around Drew Holiday and deal with all of that. For sure.
1: And the thing about the Grizzlies, too, is they just really don't have a whole lot of veteran presence. I mean, you got Jonas Valanciunas. Like, I, had, I just – and the Pelicans are young, too, but they got JJ, they got, they got Drew, and they got Derek Favors and Etwan Moore – and, and so that's, that's a clear edge for the Pels there too.
0: Oh, yeah. Look, I think they're, they're a little overinflated. They're 32 and 33. This is not a great Memphis team, right? They haven't played a very tough schedule to date. It's in the bottom 10, I think, in the league. So when you look at all of that and you're barely at 500, you're like, no, I'm not a believer in this Memphis team. Maybe they've overachieved all things considered and kind of going through the rebuild that they're going through. But yeah, against a weak schedule, having a guy like John Morant, the number two overall pick, the likely front runner for rookie of the year. You've got Jaron Jackson Jr. who does a number of things really well. And you've got a couple of other guys that look pretty decent. Like, yeah, you can maybe go 500 with that team. I don't think that's anything to be necessarily excited about this season. Maybe it shows a lot of promise for the future, but yeah, this year, you know, fighting for the 8th spot, that's kind of about right from, that doesn't mean they're a good basketball team top to bottom.
1: Now, speaking of promising future, Brandon Ingram, who, who the Pelicans should obviously offer a max contract to this coming offseason in the running for most improved player of the year, uh, Also, I'm assuming you saw the list by ESPN of the top 50 most impactful players in the bubble, ranked 47th. I just put a piece together on that for the bird rights, and we talked about it in the last podcast. I am just disgusted with that ranking. What were your initial thoughts and how you're feeling about it now?
0: I mean, so I, I don't, I tend not to get upset over what other like media says about the team because, like, whatever. Um, plus, the team doesn't pay me to like defend them unequivocally. I'll do it when I feel like the need to, though they paid me for things when I hosted the Twitch show. But you get what, I, what I'm saying here. So yeah. I don't get like offended when I see things like that. It's low. I, I wouldn't put him like barely in the top 50 at that. I look at him as probably the most impactful player on this Pelicans roster over Zion, over a guy like Drew Holiday, too. This is the guy that's going to need to lead this team. Some of these games are going to be close, I think. And when you need to get a bucket, who are you going to go to? Zion needs someone to get him the ball. Drew Holiday has never really come up in the clutch for New Orleans. It's got to be B.I. who can get you a shot anywhere. You need a shot at the rim, he can, he can create that. His mid-range shot, which you don't want guys taking those long mid-range jumpers a ton, but when you shoot him at near 50% like he does, it's a good shot. He can create there. He's also changed his shot profile so much so that he's a great three point shooter right now. So you can manufacture a look there. When you're in a close game and you need someone to close it out for you and step up, Ingram's the guy on this team. And for a team that's fighting to get into the playoffs again, and that could be favored to get into the playoffs, that's a pretty impactful player in my mind. And so that's the guy that I look at being kind of the main man for New Orleans, this particularly in the absence of Zion. And don't forget, This team went 10-4 and in the 14 games before Zion made his return, led by Brandon Ingram and playing very good team basketball. You know, Zion wasn't there for that, so couldn't have been the most impactful player for it. It was absolutely Brandon Ingram, and I see him filling that same role here for New Orleans in this. I think Zion, when he gets back, is going to be awesome and probably outperform the numbers we saw from him in the regular season. But let's make no mistake, if you need a score in a tie game, I'm going to probably go through Brandon Ingram first
1: hundred percent. He's the guy that's going to be able not only to, to take the ball up, like you said, in a point forward position, but he can create his own shot. It's and, huge in those situations. Exactly. And Drew. that's just not what Drew's game is. I, like you said, Zion has to get the ball. But Brandon Ingram is the guy for, for the Pelicans in those situations. Where would you have ranked him in the top 50? I, I would like to think he'd be. I mean, he was an all star top 25 players in the league. I'd like to think he'd be up there.
0: Yeah, that's probably – I'd have to look at the list again and, like, really think about it. I saw he was below guy, um, like one of the Lopez brothers, maybe both of the Lopez brothers, which yeah. to, to a good degree makes sense because I think when you look at rankings like that, you know, team success and where they are in the playoff hunt and the Bucs being, you know, maybe the favorite for the NBA title, you tend to get ranked a little bit higher because, frankly, your team's more impactful to the larger discussion in the larger league as a whole, so it overrates those guys a little bit. But if you're looking just in terms of, like, raw talent, raw impact on the team that they play for, Ingram is above those guys. And, yeah, top 25 is right. You know, you could argue top 20 particularly if you think the Pelicans are going to get into the playoffs and face the Lakers in the first round or even into the two-game playoff against the eighth seed if they finish ninth. He's the guy that's going to lead them there, which means he's being very impactful on the way these playoffs uh, shape up. Is he impactful all the way through the finals? No, because the Pelicans aren't going to get out of the first round. But he's still a very impactful player. So these things are always a little bit weird. But, yeah, you know, 47 is, is low. There's no other way to say that.
1: Okay, I had a question prepared, but we're going to go a different route. You said they're probably not going to the, get out of the first round, if we're being yeah. honest. Uh, but do you think they can steal a game or two from the Lakers in that first-round matchup, assuming they get past the Grizzlies and, and the Trailblazers for that first-round matchup?
0: Yeah, so I think they can get nine. And I, I recorded with the Locked On Blazers host the other day, and he was like, you know, I feel good about this team, but you're right, you know, the Pelicans are maybe kind of having the inside track despite losing the tiebreaker against that team because of how easy the schedules are, and that re- really plays in New Orleans' favor here. Say they get into nine and you beat the Memphis Grizzlies twice, so that's 5-0 and oh on the season against them. You're going into that first-round matchup with the Lakers with a ton of momentum. That's a big deal, I think, just kind of carrying over some of that best basketball. The fact of how close this Pelicans team will have become during all of this, how close they've come uh, and become in terms of team chemistry and just liking each other on and off the court throughout the whole season is really big. You do wonder if guys like playing with LeBron at times, right? That's going to hurt you in a situation like this. There's no crowd there. There's no one to feed off of when an opponent goes on a run or you're in a tough spot in a game. You're going to have to feed off of your teammates and the energy that they create. That's where having good team chemistry and a lot of bonding is really important. New Orleans has that. And if you just went through the fire that you did to get, just get into the playoffs after having to play 10 games would have been at that point, you're going to be pretty close. And I think that really can give you a bit of an advantage, a bit of an edge. No, on paper, are they going to beat a LeBron and AD team? Like, no, they can win a game though. They could probably win two games in that, given how weird it's going to be and that it's going to be a road game for every team, every single night. And I think that's something to kind of keep in mind too. Plus in the one game that Zion played against the Lakers Anthony Davis was absolutely terrified of the dude. He wanted no part of being defended by Zion Williamson or trying to defend Zion Williamson. That's kind of an eye-opening thing that if Anthony Davis is neutralized in some degree by Zion, you might be able to beat the rest of that Lakers team. They're not going to have Rondo there in the first round, which maybe is a good thing for them and makes them better, but he adds something to it. So you kind of look at this roster a little bit with the Lakers and you remove Anthony Davis from it. It's not great, you know? And so I think that's where maybe you can grab a game or two, which is going to definitely send notice around the league for the future.
1: 100%. The thing that I said earlier today as well is that in order for the Pelicans to really – I think they can get into the playoffs without Zion. I I really do. Uh, But if they're going to steal a game or two from the Lakers, I think they're going to have to have Zion. Because like you said, AD wanted no part of that. And I think I can speak collectively for Pelicans fans that watching that was – freaking awesome but uh, also I mean the Lakers they're a pretty old roster and you talked about energy from your bench energy from your teammates the the Pelicans have a ton of youth paired with that veteran leadership that's going to be huge because the team can get emotional and ride on that but they can also be led to where they're not solely focused on that emotion and, and let the momentum of emotion control the way they play also Avery Bradley not playing. Best yep. perimeter defender on the Lakers roster.
0: No, it's it's things like that. You know, that, that roster is very top-heavy. Look, they've got some good role players. Absolutely. Um, but it's led by Anthony Davis and led by LeBron James. And if one of them has a subpar series, and I'm not expecting that to be LeBron James in this, I'd expect it to be Anthony Davis, it could give them problems. You know, I still think they probably still win. I don't think he's going to be, you know – Uh, a a non-factor for six games, however long it's going to be. He's too good of a player, and we've seen Anthony Davis up close in the playoffs. We've seen his moments uh, and what he's capable of doing. We saw him light up New Orleans early on in the year, too, in his return game. So, It's one of those things where, yeah, you know, Zion will be able to do a good bit of work about that and level things a little bit more. I think they still lose, but it's going to be a close series. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Thunder a number of years ago where, you know, they got in as I think it was the sixth seed or whatever it was, played well enough but didn't really advance very far – and then all of a sudden, you kind of looked at that super young roster and all of the talent they had and go, oh, God, wait a second, they're going to be a force in the future. And that's kind of the trajectory I see with this Pelicans roster in terms of kind of narrative and what people might think that if they put up a tough fight in the first round.
1: Right. I like that analogy. That, that's, that's apropos, I would say. So looking at the playoffs from a holistic perspective, who do you see winning the title right now? Do you see anybody that is not necessarily considered to win the title, but that could make a playoff run, not necessarily make it, but make a playoff run and surprise some people.
0: You know, th- there's a few teams. I don't know if these are like, Oh, look out dark horse here. Like, you know, Denver's been really fun to watch. They've been a very good team all year long, but they're third in the Western conference, but I don't think anyone really expects them to be the, the team that unseats uh, the Lakers or the Clippers in all of this. So, I think that would be a little bit of a surprise, but Nikola Jokic has been a fringe MVP candidate for years. He looks slimmed down and good. Uh, it doesn't look quite as good as Zion does in that one picture that came <laughs> out about Zion, but he looks pretty good. And if he can be continue to be a plus on defense, which he's been this season, that's a team you've just got to watch out for. Plus, everyone seems to be really excited about Bull Bull, and I don't know why, but sure, if that dude steps <laughs> up for him, it's like another guy that adds a different dimension to it. Like, literally, he's so tall. So... I think they're a team that you've got to kind of watch out for. Them losing home court advantage in any capacity in Denver with the elevation certainly hurts them. But, yeah, that's a team that you could kind of see putting it together. Even OKC might make a further run than we were all expecting with how good they've been this year led by Chris Paul, just that veteran presence knowing what to do and a good defense around him. Also, I saw it was Steven Adams turned 27 which was like shocking to me at how young he was. I could have sworn he, if you told me that dude was in his thirties, I'd have believed it. Um, In the Eastern conference though, like I I know uh, Toronto is the second seed, but that team is still really good, really well coached and kind of building on a lot of the foundation that took them to a title last year. Yes, they don't have Kawhi Leonard, but that team top to bottom had some lineups that were absolute buzzsaws without Kawhi. And if they kind of retained some of that, which they could get it going in the playoffs again, that's a team that, You know, maybe Giannis slows down a little bit or things are kind of weird during all of this that maybe ends up back in the finals that no one's necessarily expecting.
1: All right. I've got two questions for you based off that. I've asked our other guests this as well. Do you know what college Nick Nurse went to?
0: I do not.
1: No? University No. University of Northern Iowa. Do you know what college I went to?
0: I'm assuming, if I had to guess here, <laughs> University of Northern Iowa. I'm no, I'm no private private detective here. Right. But I'm <laughs> University of Northern Iowa.
1: The pride of Cedar Falls, Nick Nurse. Yes, yeah. He,
0: is he the worst person to probably have uh, a hotel room next to in the bubble? Like he's gonna be watching game film. All throughout oh. the day and all throughout the night. And then he brought his guitar, right? So like all of you are going to be hearing him playing music at like three in the morning because I'm assuming all head coaches don't sleep. And if you're an NBA player, you're like, I don't care for this. Like Nick Nurse is not listening to the same music as his players are. Oh, no way. Yeah. So yeah, so he's going to just be jamming out in his hotel room because what else are, you know, are these people going to do? And he's going to be keeping his players up. Maybe that hurts them in this whole whole thing.
1: Touche. I was very confused when you asked that question. I was like, "Is Nick Nurse known for throwing raves?" Like,
0: <laughs> no, kind of the opposite. But, um, you know, it's he just wants to go on his freeform jam session or something for, till till all hours of the night.
1: Right. So we talked about underdogs. Do you have a clear favorite to win the title right now?
0: It's tough to kind of pick one, right? Just given how weird some of this is and like, is this going to level things out a little bit more or does it actually play into the advantage of a team like Milwaukee or a team like the Lakers? I don't think there's a clear like front runner, but it's definitely, you know, if you were to pick one in each conference, it's Milwaukee who's the class of the East. And I still like that Lakers team a little bit more so than the Clippers team, just because I believe in LeBron James. Uh, I believe in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George too, but I think I need to see some more playoff success from kind of both of them together and see the Clippers really put it together all season long, which you haven't because guys have been in and out of the lineup with injuries, with, with rest and all of that. So I like that Lakers team a little bit more than them. But like that's the, that's the NBA finals that I'm expecting is going to be the Lakers versus, Mill, uh, versus the Bucks.
1: Right. We talked to two Lakers, excuse me, Clippers experts this last week, or I, I should say, two weeks ago, and they're leaning towards the Bucks in the in the NBA Finals. I'm still rolling with the Clippers. I think they're they're so deep that I don't know that a lot of other teams can keep up with that. Um, and then, of course, Kawhi being the LeBron and, and Giannis stopper, I, I think I'm rolling with the Clippers for right now. But like you said, the lack of I, I want to say cohesiveness of of Knowing who's healthy, knowing who's playing every night, has to be a concern. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I saw that when everybody was healthy, they went 11 and one this year.
0: That that wouldn't surprise me. I don't know the numbers in front of me, but like absolutely, that doesn't surprise me. Top to bottom, like on paper, in terms of roster, that team's better than the Lakers. When you can have like Montrezl Harrell off the bench, I think that's big. Now he's left the bubble, and we don't know what's exactly going on there just yet. Um, but that, so I think that could potentially hurt them, but if he's there, uh, you know, that team with the depth that they have, the guys coming off the bench is huge. No one can match that. They have two six men of the year, essentially on the bench. And so that I think is a very, very big deal. If you can just go on runs when the other team has their backups in like, yeah, you can keep things pretty even. And then you can close it out with Kawhi and Paul George, particularly, as you mentioned, the defensive stopping prowess of Kawhi Leonard, like that's huge.
1: Oh, oh, it's enormous. And, and you're going to get Landry Shamet back. Who knows how fit he is, but we've got a little while before these games start. I, I would be surprised if he plays any scrimmages or anything like that unless it's one of the last two. But I think Landry Shamet's one of the more underrated players in the league, and you have him coming off the bench. That guy can shoot lights out from time to time. Yep. Like you said, six men of the year in Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. Lou Williams can go off any night. You don't have to rely on Kawhi and Paul George. I think they can be absolutely deadly.
0: Look, the the Lakers can't have a bad night from LeBron James and still win. The Clippers can have a bad night from one of their two stars, potentially even both of their two stars, as long as they're providing the defense that they need to and other guys step up offensively. That's a big deal. You can have an off night and still win. And when you're only playing a seven-game series, one bad night can absolutely doom you in in something like that. So being able to have a little bit more depth, particularly in this one, as we've mentioned, we don't know if guys are going to be playing 36 minutes per game or if they're going to be able to hold up over all of this with it just being so weird. More depth here is only going to be a good thing, even if you're not as top-heavy as the other other team is. So I, I like this Clippers team a lot, don't get me wrong. Um, and the second I really see them turn it on, like yeah, I'm gonna believe in that team and think they're probably the favorite coming out of the West.
1: But it is hard to to pick against LeBron James, especially at this point in his career when he clearly wants to finish off strong and win a championship for a Lakers team.
0: It's the, I think that's like kind of like a fool's move, right? Like you want to bet against LeBron? Like I right. go, like go ahead. Same thing with Popovich. Look at the Spurs in all of this. They're, you know they're not gonna get in, but. Anytime they play someone, you don't feel good and being like, oh, Spurs are losing tonight. Popovich and those like all time greats like that who just you know what they do are such game changers for their franchises, whether it's coach or player, that yeah, I just don't I've learned don't kind of go against those guys because you're gonna be wrong more often than not.
1: Now, circle back. We were talking about Brandon Ingram for most improved player of the year, and we'll address this quickly. Do you think he's a lock? Who do you think competes with him for that award?
0: So he's in there. I don't know if he is 100% a lock for it. I think there's a couple other guys that you could make claims for. It just kind of depends on what you're, you're looking for. You've got Bam Adebayo out of um, Miami, which I think kind of checks a lot of the exact same boxes that Brandon Ingram does. Young guy, first-time All-Star. Uh, front court player who who rebounds, passes well, and scores well. And I think most people look at both those players kind of equal a little bit. So I think he might be the other guy that's kind of in the front running for it. But I also think, uh, you know, Luka Doncic and the success that the Dallas Mavericks have had this year, when maybe no one was expecting him to be quite as good as 40 and 27, you know, essentially tied for the fifth seed in terms of wins. And he's been very, very good this year. The three-point shooting isn't there for me for him, but he's averaging close to 30 points per game. That's going to carry you pretty far when it comes to those sorts of things. So I could see it going to any of those three guys. You could probably throw Jason Tatum in there to a degree too, I think. Uh, But I don't think he'll really be in the front running. You know, I think Ingram definitely has a claim to it. The first-time All-Star is a big thing. I think that kind of 49-point game he had, that kind of highlight moment – um, that you can build the narrative around against the Utah Jazz is a really big selling point too. kind of leaving the, the Lakers coming to a new situation. There's a lot of great stories that kind of come out of it. So I wouldn't be shocked if he wins, but I think you easily are going to see Bam and Luka get a lot of votes too.
1: It's tough for me to say Luca or, or guys like Pascal Siakam because they've already been stars. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: No, absolutely. I, I'm with you. That's why I think it's kind of weird. Siakam, what he won it last year, I think, right? And like, and you're gonna people are gonna give it to him again, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, and like, I, I don't, I just don't get that kind of conversation around it. Um, Luca, who was great last year for that team. But I think when you kind of look at some of the eye-popping numbers he puts up, you know, it's 28.7 points per game, round up 29 points per game, and nine assists. Like, those are significant numbers. He averaged 21 last season. So that's a big, big jump, and I think that's kind of what – sometimes people just kind of get blinded by the numbers. Team success is important, too. But Luca doesn't shoot the ball well. He's shooting 32% from three. He doesn't really play much defense either. And that stuff kind of gets lost in it, I think, which hurts him. Um, but no, I wouldn't pick either of those two. I, to me, it's between Ingram and Bam, and those are the two that I really see.
1: And a stat that stuck out to me that I wasn't necessarily aware of, heard it on uh, the bird calls, I believe it was a couple days ago, that David Grubb pointed out, is that Bam hasn't necessarily increased on his numbers. It's that he's playing more minutes. It, it's really he's playing at the same clip in terms of, of scoring and of rebounds and, you know, playing defense. He's obviously noted for his defense, but he's just playing more minutes.
0: Look, sometimes that's what it takes, you know. I, there's, that's kind of why these, the criteria for a lot of these awards are weird. Some of them factor in kind of an attendance factor, like rookie of the year will. There is no doubt that Zion is a better player, even now, than John Morant is. I don't think that Memphis fans are going to disagree with me on that, but I don't think really anyone else is. But the fact that Zion's only played 19 games versus 56 for for Ja Morant is a really big deal there. A couple years ago, you saw Rudy Gobert win Defensive Player of the Year over Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis when he only played it in something like 60% of the team's games. So depending on the award, that stuff kind of doesn't matter. And I think you look for who took a step up. Not every player, say you play 15 minutes uh, per game your first season, can translate that kind of – success to the next uh, to a, a larger degree of minutes. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes guys get worse. Drew Holiday is an example of this. His play really declines when he plays more than eight minutes on the court at a time. And that's why you kind of see him in those shifts. So the fact that you have a guy that's playing at that same level, say for 30 minutes that he did at 15, is actually a good thing in my opinion. I don't know if that should necessarily work against a guy like Bam. Now, Bam's numbers overall, I think, this season are um, not as good as Ingram's. I think he has a lot of the same stories there. He's a stronger rebounder. He's a little bit better of a passer, but not as much of a score. So it's just, are you looking for maybe the more well-rounded guy in Bam, or do you want the score in Ingram? Hmm.
1: I think those are that's that's fair points to make. I, I love both players, but but Bam – Bam provides, like you said, more of a holistic game. He plays more of the defensive end of the floor, gets those boards, and he doesn't score, like you said, to the clip that Brandon Ingram does. But if you're really favoring scoring, and this is an offensive league – it's easy to give the award to to Brandon Ingram.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of what, what oftentimes ends up winning out. You know, the all-star appearance is a very big deal for that, I think, that kind of put him on people's radar. The 49-point game over a very good team in the Utah Jazz is a big thing, too. Those are things that really help. Just, he's you know, the good story of last year with his season ending early because of the blood clot in his shoulder, like, that's a big deal. All of those things kind of add up to him really being in there, and I think you're starting to see – a lot of support for him for winning that most improved player award.
1: All right. Now this has been a question with almost every guest that we've had in the last probably probably like six, nah, not six weeks. It's been a while. We've been talking a lot about a replacement for Kenny hustle. And I know you're a big Kenny <laughs> hustle guy. I know that uh, you, and I think it was you and will earlier uh, in the year talked about how he looked good Uh, early on in the season and then really just fell off. His shooting was awful. I think it was 26% from three and like 35% from the line. So Kenny, I I don't think (laughs) I'd be pretty surprised if the Pels decide to bring him back, but the Pels are in dire need of a guy that can guard that three, four position, a guy who can not necessarily stop because that's a huge ask, but do something against LeBron and Giannis. You know, Drew can only do so much in Mm -hmm. those matchups. So I've been saying the guy that I want is Mo Harkless. Now, we had, like I said, those Clippers experts on a couple of weeks ago. Garrett Corpeningham, Sports Illustrated, said that he's a capable defender and he'd be good at that spot, but the shot isn't there. Did shoot 28% from three this year, but we have seen the shot before from Harkless. He shot 41% for the Blazers in 2017, 2018. And, of course, the Pels have Fred Vincent on their roster. So I, I think he's still my guy, but there's a list of players – that, that I would go for. Is there anybody in, in free agency that comes to mind initially for you? If, if the Pellas are able to go out and get somebody probably at that mid level exception.
0: Yeah. So I'll be honest. I have not looked towards free agency yet at all. Um, given where, where we stand with everything right now, like one day at a time. Right. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but no, he, so he makes sense. Like I, I can see that, and that's going to be basically what the Pelicans have to spend in free agency. They're not going to be a cap room team and not really have many options to kind of retool it. And I really do think they're going to kind of end up really running this roster back more than anything. I think they'll really try and bring back Derek Favors on a much more team-friendly type of contract because I don't see him being a big name in free agency that's going to command a lot of money. So Mo Harkless makes sense there. I think they kind of have a guy already, though he's not on the roster in Didi Luzada Silva that they're very high on. He's more of a two-guard than a guy who can kind of defend uh, the four, but he kind of fits a lot of the the boxes that they're looking for in terms of three-point shooting potential. He wasn't great in Australia with that, Um, but they rave about his defense. They think that the second he's on this team, and this comes from people with the Pelicans, he's going to be one of their four best defenders, five best defenders on the team basically day one. They love his work ethic. Um, They were thrilled to get him in the second round. And so they feel very highly about him, and I would not be shocked to see him get a significant role in the rotation next year kind of as that defensive specialist a little bit um, that, you know, hopefully has a three-point shot in there. Um, you know, he's only an inch shorter than Kenrich Williams, so you can kind of move him at the four if you need to. I think you can also use Josh Hart to a degree in those roles, but certainly they'd like maybe more of a defensive four at some point who can stretch the court too. So I can see Mo Harkless. So that, makes, that makes some sense to me actually as a guy that would fit well on this team because Kenrich Williams to start the year was looking like he was going to get a massive payday in free agency, likely from the Pelicans. And then every, like the wheels fell off about as hard as we've ever seen the wheels fall off on a player here where he just couldn't make an open three pointer at all. And that was a huge, huge issue for him. So uh, I would not be shocked if he's not back next year and they look to go in a different direction.
1: Luzada is six five, one eighty five. So, so like you said, probably not going to be the guy that's going to be yeah. able to guard that, that four position. I'm going to throw out some, I've got a list of names. I've done some research on this, Jake, we've been talking about it a oh, lot. Good. So, good. Um, I'm curious as to, as to what your thoughts are. We heard from Chris Connor a few weeks ago that he thought Brandon Ingram could, could almost fill that role, become a better defender. Now he's just a little too skinny. I love BI on closeouts. I think he's great at defending jump shots. Uh, but do, do you think Brandon Ingram can step up to that type of position?
0: So, yeah, you know what? Yeah, probably. Defense usually takes three, four years to really come in for an NBA player to kind of be at that elite level. So he's kind of on that timeline. I don't think he's a bad defender. He's he's got the right length there to create problems, like you mentioned, great on closeouts, great on contesting jumpers. Does he have the strength to really bang inside is kind of the the big question. The other thing is you're not seeing that style of play a ton. There's not a ton of like, you know, slow down post play where you need to worry about those all Mm. the time. So I think in limited minutes, like, yeah, probably I'm certain that he's going to look to put on more bulk and more muscle this off season. Um, And even in the videos we've seen a little bit, he looks a little bit stronger right now, I'd say. So he can probably play that role to some degree. I don't think you're going to look at him, you know, full time there, but also do you need a guy to kind of do that full time? And is that something that Zion might eventually kind of be able to do defensively too? Um, You know, he's strong. (laughs) Once he gets some of the defense down and the concept and knowing where to go and how to do that and not biting on, you know, pump fakes and all the things that rookie defenders do that we expect them to do that aren't really knocks on a guy like he's going to be a monster eventually. So I don't know if you necessarily need to worry about that, you know, from someone else. I think he can fill some of that stuff, too.
1: Sure. And not just solely rely on his athleticism for those insane blocks that we've seen from Zion. He's definitely got a lot to learn on that end of the floor.
0: He, he does, and it'll come in time. You know, it takes, like, like I said, it usually takes a guy like three years just to not be atrocious at NBA defense for the <laughs> most part. Like in, on, on average, I'd say Zion d- didn't look good there, uh, but he has a lot of those intangibles that once you figure it out and it just takes time playing. He's played 19 games. Like, should he be good at defense? No. Uh, he'll figure it a lot out. The things with, with Zion are the, is the athleticism for sure. He can, you know, we, We've all seen the shot against what Virginia was when he was at Duke, when he jumped from the paint essentially or came out from the paint to block that three-point shot, which was insane. Um, he also has unbelievable instincts and just timing on when to kind of attack and do things like that. Look what he did to Kevin Knox in Summer League in that first play we all saw. He just has a nose for the ball, ripped it out of the dude's arms at the right exact time. If he goes... Before that or a little bit later after that, it's going to be a foul. He just has a knack for timing things well. That's going to be really good as a one-on-one defender eventually when he starts to learn a little bit more and the game slows down for him on that end a little bit more because you can't teach that stuff.
1: Definitely. Now, these names that we've been talking about, there's a couple that I've brought up more recently, one that I'm going to bring up uh, that's new today, but – I'll throw a couple names at you and, and we can do it rapid fire. You can, you can go (laughs) off if you want, but uh, it's up to you, Jake. I'll throw this first one at you. Uh, Jay Crowder.
0: I think his defense is overrated now, but you know, that's a guy that can definitely fill a role if they want to kind of keep a veteran presence on the team. That makes a lot of sense. And at this point he's a pretty good three point shooter. So like, yeah, sign me up.
1: I agree with you. I think he's getting a little bit old um, yeah, that's gotta be hurting the defense. Uh, but, but yeah. And Marcus Morris is the next one.
0: I, the Morris brothers scare me just cause they're kind of nuts and don't have the best <laughs> reputations around the league. You know, it's funny, it's a joke, but like, it's also kind of true. And I think when you look at the atmosphere in the locker room and the culture, they're really trying to build here. That doesn't really strike me as a fit to be honest.
1: I didn't know that. Is that, is that pretty well
0: known? Knowledge? I think somewhat they're, they're kind of like, uh, look, I, I'm not trying to be like, they're crazy. They're nuts or anything. You know, I don't know them personally, but sure. you kind of see when guys kind of have that reputation around there, I'm not seeing their locker room problems, or even if they were that they would continue to be. That's one of those things that I look at what the Pelicans are building here, where culture is kind of first and foremost on things. I'm kind of going, wait, hold on a second. I don't know how I feel about it from that perspective. And sometimes that's more important than fit on the court.
1: Fair enough, and that's a good call, especially when you've got a young locker room uh, and with what, like you said, what the Pelicans are trying to build. And, and if there's anybody that I trust to, to put this together um, and include the, the chemistry in the locker room and stuff like that, it's, it's David Griffin. Now, two players that are kind of similar. I like one more amount than the other, uh, and it's Kenneth Vareed and Damari Carroll.
0: Uh, no, those those both make sense. I kind of I like the idea of both of them. Fareed would be fun. He's not, you know, what he used to be. I think, but off the bench can still be a bit of a spark plug, uh, and I think that makes some sense for what they're potentially looking for. Also, just he, he's a really fun player, um, even still. So that could be kind of cool to see. He doesn't shoot three, so I think that's a bit of a problem there. Um, as the Pelicans are going to really look for shooting in almost anyone they bring in going forward, for the most part. But he makes sense. Um, Carroll makes a lot of sense, too. That's just kind of one of those veteran guys that makes a lot of sense for a team that just kind of is well-rounded and is going to give you, what you, know, you know, what you need and what you'll know you'll get out of him on any given night. So, and they're going to both come pretty cheaply. So that makes a lot of sense on both those names for me.
1: On a very limited amount of three-point shots for the Rockets in 2018-2019, Kenneth Reed shot 35%.
0: I mean, it's not bad, but (laughs) I kind of look at his career. That's usually something you need to see in a larger volume before I feel very, very comfortable with that. Um, You know, and it's so look, I I can see it for how cheap he's going to be to take a flyer on a dude like that. Why not? You know, depending on what you have open on the roster.
1: Touche, fair enough. Yeah, career, he shot 22%, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a stretch. But Damari Carroll, on the other hand, uh, who is three, four years, I think he's four years older than, than Kenneth Fareed, has shot about 36% from, from three, yes, according to uh, basketballreference.com. So, uh, and he's been in the league for a while. You can get him super cheap as well. I just, I don't know, other than what I've listed here, this 3-4 position, unless they try to package picks, And try to acquire somebody in a trade or something like that. I just, I don't know what the Pels do this off season. If they want to fill that role. I don't know if they decide they want to go get a cheap center, maybe try to replace Derek favors, but I think they should bring, bring Derek favors back too. Is there anything else that sticks out to you? Um, in terms of ways they should go get a three, four guy or, or anything else they should do in, in free agency?
0: So, yeah, like th- that's definitely the position they should be going after. And maybe another, like, better shooter, I think, on the roster in some capacity would make a lot of sense. I just don't know if you're really going to be able to find that. We also don't know how free agency is going to look right now, given the salary cap for next year and everything going on from all of this. So, there's a lot up in the air, uh, you know, that kind of can affect it. And if the salary cap goes down for any reason, you know, it actually puts the Pelicans in a better spot because they kind of just run it back. And I think they'd be very happy doing that. I do think they'll try and bring back Derek Favors. You would easily sign him for $10 million a year, if that. Um, you know, and there's not a lot of teams out there that have salary camp space, and none of them are looking for a center. So he's not going to be expecting $22-plus plus million a year or even a very long-term deal. There's just a limited use for players like him. He fits on New Orleans maybe better than other teams. So given that they'll give Brandon Ingram a max contract, they're very limited on what they can do in free agency. And it really might depend on, do they actually think Didi Silva is ready for a rotation spot right now? And if they do, your roster's kind of set. There's maybe one spot. I don't think Okafor will be back next year. They've got to make decisions on him, Etwan Moore, and Frank Jackson. Um, And depending on what happens with Etwan Moore, maybe he gets run back here too for very cheap because is his market going to be that big? So I kind of look around of – This might be the roster we see for the most part next year. You maybe add a rotation player into it, but that's about it. Uh, And I don't see very many wholesale changes. So you're kind of on the right path of guys that I would be scouting at and looking for because those are ones that kind of make sense. Cheap, kind of fill a role. They're unspectacular, but they're good guys to have on a roster because, frankly, that's all they can really do right now.
1: Good, good stuff from Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast and Locked On Podcast Network. Jake, Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to check out Jake on Twitter, it is Nola Jake. And of course you can head over to Apple Podcasts. Are you on Spotify? Locked Locked
0: on Pelicans. Everywhere you get your podcast from just type in locked on Pelicans. You'll be able to find it. There
1: it is. Thanks so much for joining us, Jake.
0: Thanks for having me on today.
1: And there you have it, Pels fans. Some great stuff with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans today. Now that we are done with the show, make sure you are going to go subscribe, leave a rate and review it. here on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. Or if you're listening on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, make sure you're hitting that follow or subscribe button to continue to get updates when we have a new podcast out. Make sure to go follow at E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H on Twitter. You're going to be getting a ton of Pelicans content over there. And you can always head over to Hoops Habit or The Bird Rights, and you're going to be getting some Pelicans content in written form from SB Nation and Fan Sided. Make sure folks, if you do anything today with the rest of your day subscribe, leave a rate interview if you are on Apple Podcasts. Once again really really helps us out. So This was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans.